Mike Richards is well known in the UK. Former cancer czar, he now heads up the Care Quality Commission, the regulator of all health and social care services. And therefore, he's responsible for the body that inspects hospitals and GP practices. In this interview, BMJ's Head of News and Views, Rebecca Coombs, went to the CQC's headquarters in London and spoke to Mike Richards, who defends the record of hospital inspections on his watch. This is an edited version of the interview. The full write-up can be found on bmj.com. We'll talk about the CQC. Um, so, oh, I'm, I'm really interested to know, I mean, how you feel the CQC has improved standards over the years that you've been here and what, what evidence you have to okay. show for that. I mean, I've sort of crowdsourced some of my questions here today from my readers, so you yeah. can imagine that... Yeah. Um, well, and the first thing... quite a lot to say. Yeah. Want. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's fine. I mean, the, the first thing to say is that we have got a much better picture of quality across the whole health service, independent sector as well as uh, NHS, um, than I believe anybody has ever had before, partly because we're not just looking at um, a, a, a trust and saying this trust requires improvement or this trust is good, but we're saying this trust's A&E department um, <coughs> is inadequate or it's outstanding and its critical care unit is the opposite. And we do find both huge variation between trusts, from the outstanding to the inadequates, but also variations within trusts so that we can have one or two really outstanding services in trusts that are otherwise struggling. Um, and, of course, we go further than that. We, um, we actually say for each service, is it safe, is it effective, is it caring, is it responsive, is it well there? So we can point to where the problems actually are. Um, and I'm really pleased to say that we have seen a lot of improvement. Um, and... Um, in acute trusts first of all um, improvement and deterioration I'm not trying to say it's all one way um, but the improvement vastly exceeds the deterioration numerically which is which actually is quite remarkable at a time of austerity. I remember talking to Claire Panica, the um, chief executive of Basildon Hospital, mm. which was the first ever trust to come out of special measures. Mm. And on the day it came out of special measures, at the press conference to celebrate that, um, her comment was, you see, it's almost entirely the same staff um, <coughs> as when we went into special measures. Mm. It's just that we're now getting the best out of them. Uh, and uh, that has stuck with me, and I think it is true wherever we go. It's this discretionary effort of staff. Mm. If you're feeling that you're supported, if you're feeling that you're all heading in the right direction, um, actually, staff really want to do a good job. Mm. Um, and if you, if you look at University Hospital Bristol, um, which we rated as requires improvement when we first inspected. They have now got up to outstanding. Um, and they're the first one to make that particular leap. Mm. Um, and their comment to us was, we used your report. We said, they've shown us what we need to do. We've done it and we've gone further. Um, and that's fantastic. I'm not claiming we make the change. We don't. No, so that's my follow-up question, no. I suppose. Is what do you say to those that 
that say inspections with new, no improvement methodology are a waste of time, that all you're doing is holding a mirror up to an organisation. Um, I, I, I think that holding a mirror up, in, in what, what we have proved, yeah. is that in some cases holding a mirror up is sufficient. No. Do I think that that is always sufficient? No. Um, and that's, that's why we also have an organisation called NHS Improvement. The, the clue is in the name. Um, but they don't, they don't say have a special drive towards improving maternity services. They, 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 they have a two things about that. First of all, that they have had a special focus on the hospitals that are in special measures. Yeah. The ones that are... Um, most needed uh, improvement um, and they have put uh, a lot of resource improvement directors it's, um, into those, those hospitals and um, supported them um, the other, but the other part of this is and it, this is happening more recently maybe is rather than just buddying for a whole trust saying um, we want Guys and St Thomas's to buddy Medway to support Medway to turn round, actually saying where there's a maternity service that is yeah. in trouble, let's get a maternity service from another trust to, to provide support. Is that in happening fact, at the moment? Oh yeah, I mean so. In no, no. Cent Scotland, Central Manchester gave support to Morecambe Bay, for example, um, and um, there are. I wouldn't be able to. Um, give you all the examples off the top of my head but we could come back to you with more examples but the, 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 this, the, the, the buddying at service level mm. um, is undoubtedly um, happening right now where people most need that and that's happening to NHS improvement they, they are arranging it yes, yes. They, they, that, and I think it's quite important that we are not the improvement body this business of okay. keeping the regulator and the improver at the very least you need to keep a strong firewall between the two because we've got to be able to go back and say actually objectively no this hasn't improved mm -hmm. um, if you've been the person helping with improvement mm -hmm. you're it, the temptation to say oh we know they've tried hard they must be better is is, is great but we are giving an objective view is this improved or is it not? Um, and so that's why I think keeping a firewall between the, the improvement arm and the, the regulating arm, the, the quality regulating arm, is important. And is it fair to say that your inspections have changed somewhat over the years? I think some cases have pointed to the, the big bang inspections of the sort of early years, and there have been a pairing back. And one of the big feedbacks that we get is the sort of are inspectors expert enough and you know, do you have enough experts on board? I mean, the kind of comments that we get are, you know, I really, it really goes for me to be, you know, inspected by, a, I don't know, a nurse who hasn't practised for 10 years, for example, whereas that may not have been the yeah. case with the early inspections. Do you think that, what do you think of that criticism? Very largely unjustified. Um, the, um, because... Uh, our inspection program has changed but not in that way so um, when we started this program in 2013 we were obviously doing all the core services 
at one go, which is the, the large inspection teams, the, the 50 people going into a trust. But actually, when you think about it, that's probably five people going into an A&E department. It's six or seven people going onto all the medical wards and being spread out around them. It's a huge number. It's a huge number, but, 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 but when you think of it against the 5,000 people that work in a, an average-sized trust or more, it's, it, you know, it, it, it's not... It, it sounds large, but that's only because we were doing all the, the eight core services at a go. Um, we are now taking a more targeted and tailored approach and going, if, if it was the A&E before that really needed improvement, we will, we will go back into the A&E. But we will, what is the same is that we will still take an emergency medicine consultant and almost certainly an emergency medicine nurse practicing ones as well as our inspectors now our inspectors some of them won't have been clinical for some years but they know our inspection process very well but that's the combination of having our inspectors who really know the inspection process Mm -hmm. and current clinical experts that's what I think gives our program um, credibility but do you have any, ever have any problems recruiting those experts I mean, I mean I, I remember so far our report there were quite a few junior doctors on uh, I think junior doctors are very very valuable on these inspections the junior doctors um, they know where to look yeah. um, they know how to talk to other junior doctors they, they, they will find out a huge amount um, so I wouldn't want to say no to junior doctors we don't take junior doctors as a second best after consultants no. we take them because they are valuable in their own right yeah. um, and, and I would stand by that but you don't have any recruitment issues with um, so far so no. so very good. I mean, d- does that mean that on every inspection we have the ideal combination? No, because sometimes somebody will drop out at the last minute for very good reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, then what we try to do is usually to go back unannounced at a slightly later date mm-hmm. with with the the relevant expertise. Um, so so we try to balance that. I mean, you know, yes, there are occasions where you know the emergency medicine consultant isn't able to go at the last mo- moment, um, and therefore we, we we will go back unannounced with the right person. Okay. Do you do you acknowledge that sort of clinicians in the system can get confused by the different bodies regulating their work? So you know, the, the CQC may say you don't have enough nurses, um, and the government pledges to get. The, it's a nicer set to stay safe staffing levels and then Jim Mackey says well if you can't afford the one to eight nursing ratio don't worry about it and then you know NHS England kills off safe staffing limits it's, it's quite hard isn't it when yeah. you're at the coal face to sort of manage that those messages so so what do we do um, on safe staffing specifically mm-hmm. um, we always take a rounded view uh, we would never go simply on a one-to-eight. We, we would look at the nursing ratios, yeah. by all means. We would look at, we would talk to the staff. Um, more often than not, the staff have actually recorded uh, on their incident records that they were short of staff. Um, we look at what their planned levels were against what their actual levels are. They are below what they had planned for. Um, or, and we, we talk to the patients. Um, and ask them what it's like. One hospital we went to, which we rated um, inadequate, um, particularly because of its medical wards, we actually said, you on one ward, you have got to close eight beds right now because you, you haven't got the staff to, um, to staff those safely. We went back 48 hours later and just to check up on things, 
And it was the patients that said to us, this place is completely different. So it wasn't that the staff were terrible people, mm. but they were stretched beyond what they could do. And when they were able to manage the workload, uh, the patients noticed the difference. Mm. Mm. Okay. Um, I've heard another criticism here for you to answer, but one thing that's come up is people saying that the CQC is too fond of showboating uh, for the press. So what happened with Adam Brooks and Royal London, I don't think that's to say that you were wrong about that, but um, and does the CQC have too have, have too many kind of golden children? Sort of the Frimley Parks of Salford, Royals, the Manchester Royals always seem to get trotted up, and 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 the suggestion has been that you know it's politically helpful to have these trusts that you know can't fail in a way. I think I think your two arguments argue against each other. There, um, you might have thought that Edinburghs couldn't fail, um, but um, you know I think I think I hope it's true that throughout the time I've been in this post, I have been prepared to say it as it is. Um, that's not always convenient. I will also say that my judgments have never been interfered with by any other body. So if I've said something is inadequate, nobody has. Well, the organisation themselves may, may, have, may, may not have liked it, but I have no political interference in that whatsoever, um, no interference from anybody else within a CQC. So that is, um, we, we've said it as it is, showboating, absolutely no. Um, I reject that completely. The outstandings, the fact that we keep repeating which the outstandings are is because they are the outstanding ones, and, and, but they have earned that. They, we haven't... And actually, another thing that, about that is, not all the outstandings were known to be outstanding before we went there. Mm -hmm. um, would you have known that East London Foundation Trust was an outstanding mental health trust? Mm -hmm. I don't think we did, and I don't think most people did. Mm -hmm. Would you have known that Western Sussex, which is basically Chichester and Worthing, was outstanding? I don't think we were particularly expecting that. The inspection team came back and told me, Mike, there is no doubt that this is outstanding. Mm -hmm. We went through it very carefully, I can assure you, and they earned their outstanding. So, so actually, it's not just, oh, the, you know, the, the favoured few are being deemed outstanding. People have earned their outstanding ratings. Because there have been, I think you've acknowledged this in reports, um, the issue that... Um, all inspectors singing from the same hymn sheet that some may make it, that there will be different judgments made. And how democratic is it, really? That, I mean, what, well, how no. big is the difference between adequate and good? Is there a big mound in the middle? That yes, there is? There, there is a big difference. Uh, there's a very big difference between inadequate and good, um, and the hospitals that have been able to make that transition have made a big change, and a big change that really makes a difference to patients. So th these are not minor differences, they are major differences. Uh, consistency is always a challenge for any regulator anywhere, um, and so that's why we have to build in as many processes to make sure we are consistent. First is having a very clear framework of what we're looking for, which we publish. Uh, so that is, you know, our provider handbook, as it's been called, has done that. The characteristics of what we're looking for, outstanding, good, requires improvement, uh, inadequate, all published. Uh, so that's not done secretly behind closed doors. Having inspectors that are trained, having uh, 
current clinicians who know what good looks like. The, the intensive care consultant who I walked onto an intensive care unit and after a couple of hours she was able to say to me, Mike, this place is at least as good as my own and I know my own is good. Um, uh, now, that combined with checking all the things that needed to be checked. Mm. Um, actually, that came out as a very good intensive care unit. Um, and, and, so, and then, of course, after we've done the inspection, we have this um, pro very detailed process of the, the draft reports being brought to a panel that I, either I or one of my deputies has chaired for all the comprehensive inspections. So we go through almost line by line, but we go through all the judgments and say, does this make sense? Would we have said this if it was somewhere down the road? Um, and and we, we have people who are recording all of our judgments and the reasons why, so that we can then say, actually, hold on a minute, um, are we being consistent here? Let me just give you a if you like a facile um, example, but it, I think it illustrates the point. If you go to an outpatient department, you would expect your medical records to be available. Um, nobody has ever set a standard for what proportion of all patients should have medical records available when they go to outpatients. Is it 100%? Is it 99%? 95%? Well, if it gets down to 75%, so one in four patients, when they turn up, their records aren't available, I believe that's actually unsafe because things may have gone on and they, can't, they haven't got the time then to go and check up and all, all of that. That's unsafe. And so we deem that to be unsafe. Mm -hmm. But then we keep a record and say, okay, th that was the level we de deemed unsafe. And if, if we come to another one with medical records and it's at 95%, we would then say, can somebody just look back and see what we have said about other places? And we'd say, no, that, that requires improvement, maybe, but it doesn't, it's not inadequate. Mm -hmm. So we, we, are, we work very hard at that consistency. It is always going to be the biggest challenge for any regulator. What's been your most memorable inspection since you've been here? Um, I think probably Morecambe Bay when it reached good um, and the the joy of the people at Morecambe Bay that we had recognised the changes that they had made and the improvements in patients care the fact that it was such a change for patients so I, um, I mean there are, there are lots of others but that's the one I would probably pick out You've been listening to Mike Richards and Rebecca Coombs discuss hospital inspection. As always, if you like this, you can find more on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from. There are over 200 episodes there, all available for free. And you should subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on any more. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us. It helps others find us and it lets us know what you want. That's it for this episode. We'll be back soon with Ben Goldacre and Carl Hennigan, who have audited all the transparency policies of pharma companies. And they've got some views. I'm Duncan Jarvis. Bye till then. <laughs>